Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. I'm Kevin Hines, one of your two hosts. And I am the second of those hosts. My name's Will Hines. And you're listening to a podcast that, like the title says, talks about Spider-Man. Specifically, we talk about the original Spider-Man comics by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. These are the original comics where he was created, where his supporting cast and villains uh, all debuted, or a lot of them debuted, uh, and inspired and a lot of what follows. Yeah, they were initially published like 1962 until maybe 65 or 6, I forget. And um, uh, I think 65 or 66, because we're already at the end of 64. Ooh. And um, Kevin and I uh, loved them as kids, and now we are grown men, and since we did not evolve emotionally in any way, we still love them, and we're talking about them. Yep. Uh, we'd be talking about them even if we weren't recording, so it's just helpful to have an excuse. Mm-hmm. And um, this episode, we're doing uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue number 19. Yeah, it's uh, sort of Spidey the end. Back. It's sort of the end of a little mini arc uh, that started mm-hmm. with uh, issue uh, 17. Yep. And uh, sort of a three-issue arc that started with Spider-Man fighting the Green Goblin, but then finding out his Aunt May was sick and running off and being labeled a coward, and then spending an entire issue sort of avoiding combat. That was issue 18, and now uh, he's been given a pep talk by Aunt May, and he's back to being Spider-Man as of the very end of issue 18, and that's where we're starting today. Yeah, this is I, I really like this issue. It's like last issue was all set up and build up and build up and build up. And this issue is all fun and payoff. Yeah, it's I mean, these three issues, I think, just combined are really great. Uh, the next few are still good, but I think they're a step back. Uh, this is like a little mini peak uh, in the Ditko Stanley era. And this is still yep. definitely part of it. I still 18 is probably my favorite of these three issues, but 19 is no slouch. No as Stan slouch. Lee would maybe say in a dialogue. <laughs> Um, if you evaluate these comics in terms of action, i.e. when Spider-Man is beating up a bad guy, this one has a lot of it. He beats up a lot of people in this comic book. Yeah. And uh, I say that's good. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Um, I like it when people get hurt. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm into comics for the sadism. Um, uh, let's talk about the cover real quick before we get into okay. our other non-issue-related uh, segments. Okay, the cover of issue 19. Um, what do you think, Kev? It sort of almost feels like um, no time was put into it. It almost feels like, and I don't know this for sure, but it feels like these pieces could have been pulled from within the issue or other issues and sort of just pasted together. Yeah, it looks like cut and paste or something like that. Yeah, like there's a little Spider-Man in the middle, and then there's like separate kind of disconnected images of Sandman, the Human Torch, and uh, Spider-Man's best villains ever, the Enforcers. <laughs> yeah, uh, those guys are crazy. And they're all just sort of just sort of there in like little boxes. They're not necessarily interacting yeah. with each other. There's not a lot going on in this cover. Most of the heavy lifting is done just by the title that is sort of boldly proclaiming Spidey Strikes Back. Yeah, I think this is not a great cover. Although the picture of Spider-Man in the middle is so so beautiful and cool that I feel like it almost makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, a, a not great Ditko cover still has Ditko art, so I don't have a problem with it per se. That's right. Um, yeah, this, so, so I'm going to say just a mediocre cover, but a great issue. So I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have any podcast news. Uh, I do not have any podcast news. Oh, we have a new promo out. Okay. Uh, so well, those of you I already listened to that last week and then you said it wasn't out yet cause you needed to kind of finish it up. So between the last two podcasts, it's been finished. Listen to other campfire media, uh, and maybe you'll hear it. Yeah, maybe you'll have the, the promos for us at the end of it. I mean, people listening to this now, I guess there's no point in me sending you to the commercial. We've already won you over. But I don't know. I like if commercials. If you're a completist, if you are a screw, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man completist. Hey, there's a promo out there and you're missing out. Yeah, How long is it? 30 seconds. So there's 30 seconds of content you're not getting by subscribing to this podcast. Ooh, boy. So it's out there. Um, so that's podcast news. Uh, uh, Marvel Comics or Spider-Man news, I don't think there is any. Um, okay. Last uh, week we talked about Infinity War very briefly and spoiler-free, and that's still, I think, the mm-hmm. only real news going on out there. Yep. Uh, going on in Marvel Comics right now, not much. It's December 1964. It's business as usual. Um, okay. So Spider-Man, I think, guest stars in the Avengers this month. I don't know anything about that story, so... My presumption is he beats them all up and they call him the best superhero ever. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun story if you're a fan of the Avengers, but if no, you're a fan no, of Spider-Man. They're humiliated in it. But a good if you like Spider-Man beating people up and you said you do well, I think you should look into it. 
All right. I'm sold. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I don't really have any other, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else for these segments. I think we're ready just to dive into the issue. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so we start with a big splash page, uh, which we haven't had in a while. La- last few issues I feel like have had the first panel, uh, kind of being the splash page. And this is a legitimate yeah. splash page. It's Spider-Man fighting both the enforcers and Sandman with the human torch kind of all in a big tussle. Again, this would have made a great cover image. Um, yeah. And this is not what's happening in the story right now, but it's sort of saying like, keep reading. You're going to see this fight. Yep. It's a little preview. And I it agree, it would make a better t- cover. A lot of times I think the splash page would make a better cover in these ones. Yeah. I don't know why that decision is made not to use them. Uh, they also use some of the caption boxes to recap what's happened in the last two issues, which I've already done for you listeners. Uh, yeah. But it's done in Stan Lee's voice. So that's, you know, different. That's fun. Uh, the little credits this issue are very fun. They say, written by Spidey's godfather, Stan Lee, illustrated by Spidey's big daddy, Steve Ditko, lettered by S. Rosen, parentheses, Spidey's second cousin on his uncle's side, parentheses. Uh, it's nice. Now, I mean, uh, presumably Stan Lee writes those or comes up with those. Uh, yeah. And he dubbed Steve Ditko the big daddy, which is like a better connection than godfather which is what he gave himself yes maybe more accurate stan lee is there and giving help and support but like steve ditko is the real uh parent he's the emotional parent of spider-man yeah you know you know we've talked about it many times on this podcast but it's it's a little bit of a it takes a sort of special touch when describing how much credit to give stan lee like he is absolutely a crucial co-creator of this character there's no question about it it's just that he's given too much credit by the public at large and then sometimes in order to make up for that people go too far the other way but um i think one of the things he did was like i think he's probably the one making the decisions on the covers and titles and um I don't know. Maybe I disagree with an individual decision here or there, but overall, he orchestrated the Marvel Universe, and so I have to kind of assume that he knows what he's doing more than me. And I think the Marvel Universe is going to last, based on this (laughs) movie that opened last week. It had the biggest opening of any movie ever. Was that right? Yeah. Uh, It topped Force Awakens for the biggest opening weekend ever. Uh, Also, during the movie, when I saw it, during the credits, I think I'm the only one who clapped at Jim Starlin's name. And... uh, (laughs) Jack Kirby and a few of the other names that kind of popped up. I don't remember seeing Steve Ditko's, but I wasn't watching the credits all the time. But I looked up and noticed Starlin, who's a big part of it because he created Thanos, the villain of these movies. And I was like, Jim Starlin, woo! To an audience that was sort of waiting for a teaser uh, (laughs) in the credits. Yeah. Well, you know, Spidey wasn't a big part of it. I mean, like, so it's more of Jim. I'm glad they credited Starlin and Kirby. Ditko might have been mentioned uh, because they weren't all grouped together. Like Starlin was mentioned, okay. and then much later on, they mentioned Kirby, uh, as well as some of the other creators. Like they mentioned, like the people uh, Keith Giffen and Bill Mantlo. Uh, Bill Mantlo, uh, no, maybe Mike McNola created Rocket Raccoon. So like some of those came up later. Hmm, okay, uh, and I um, maybe missed it, Co. Maybe he doesn't get credit, like because who knows that whole? Uh, he, I mean, he's a crazy person to some extent, and we know he's disavowed yeah. Spider Man. Close, and he does never given an interview, and he doesn't let himself be photographed. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he's been given credit in other Spidey movies, so I don't think... He's definitely given credit, I think, in the first one. Um, I want to now rewatch all the credits and see. <laughs> I, I think I always look for his name and I see it. Like, um, I'm pretty sure that it always says Spider-Man created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Yeah, but that might just be written on the inside of your glasses. Oh, yeah. I do have that also written on the inside of my glasses. So anything I look at, <laughs> I personally am giving credit to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. That's nice of you. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, let's dig into this issue. We're still on page one. Um, Yes. So this is the, at the end of, like you said, at the end of last issue, his aunt may give him a pep talk and he decided that it's okay for him to be Spider-Man. He doesn't have to feel guilty about it. So we get a whole full issue of him just happily and enthusiastically being Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Normally he's sort of uh, uh, always kind of woe is me and his uh, thought bubbles. And like he just, I think he smiles throughout this issue and just has a blast, which is rare for Spider-Man. To enjoy his amazing powers. Yep. Yeah. This is, he's way happier than than usual. Uh, and we start with like a, a bunch of criminals running out of um, the Midtown Bank, and Spider Man attacks. Money bags, he, as always. Bad guys in the Marvel universe love bags of money. Yeah, they're wearing their hats and full uh, coats and jackets and ties. They're dressed yep. to the nines to rob this bank. Yeah, uh, they're, they're they're spiffy. Yeah. Spider-Man just sort of jumps down in the middle of them and just starts popping them, knocking them out one punch each, and they're just going down easily. It's a big yeah. crew. 
Yep. There's a great there's a great panel at the top of page three when he's like literally running along the side of a building as if it's the ground and just punching people as he goes like one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, and he makes the comment, I seem to be running out of sparring partners. Uh, I love the I, I love whenever they show Spider-Man just knocking a guy out with one punch because that's all it should take for the strength you see him have. And he can uh, lift a car. So if he's just punching a regular human being, you should be able to knock him out. Yeah, it should be just done. Uh, but one guy gets away. One guy sees him and was sort of being the lookout for this crew and Spider-Man didn't realize it. So that guy sort of takes off and he's going to warn the boss. We don't know who the boss is, yeah. but he's going to be warned. Yeah. yeah. This guy lives to tell the tale. Meanwhile, maybe the best thing in this issue, uh, yeah, I to tip my hand uh, for my later awards, is uh, J. Jonah Jameson is across town at a lecture hall preparing to do a lecture <laughs> entitled How I Proved That Spider-Man is a Cowardly Fraud. <laughs> I mean, what an insane lecture to give. It's sold out. I can't imagine like anybody in the modern world. Like if you, I mean, if you like hated a political figure and you gave a lecture and it was called how I proved this person is a cowardly front and everyone's bought tickets to hear you talk about it. Yeah. It's not like the, it's about like, here's proof that Spider-Man is a cowardly fraud or the history of Spider-Man being outed. It's how I did it. (laughs) It's all about me. Uh, but um, Jason uh, Jason Jason looks insane. He's got this yeah. huge smile on his face. He's waiting to go on. He's just beaming. And he's thinking to himself, ah, what a happy moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then a guy whose name is Mr. Wormley taps him on the shoulders. Oh, that's such a great name. To whisper some news and whispers that the word is out. Spider-Man is starting to beat up criminals again. Yeah, and there's this three-panel sequence where he goes, Jonah Jameson goes from smiling to just miserable. His face just melts across three panels. And, um, And he storms out and he won't do the lecture. The person who was introducing him says, where is he going, Mr. Wormley? What's wrong with J. Jonah Jameson? He does, and the guy's response is he doesn't feel very well. Cut to J. Jonah Jameson outside pounding a wall. He's punching a wall, and the Human Torch flies by and notices this. Um, yeah. He's got no time to worry about J. Jonah Jameson's uh, punching a wall. Uh, he just uh, had his own adventure in Strange Tales number 127. Apparently. Uh, and he's sort of just flying home to the Baxter building, but he's not going to make it, Will. Nope. A lasso comes out of nowhere and grabs him. The world's most versatile and powerful lasso. Um, it is the lasso by the member of the Enforcers whose name is Montana. This lasso is a little different than his normal lasso. We're told it's asbestos covered. Uh, in mm-hmm. this era of comics, especially in Strange Tales, everything is covered in asbestos. <laughs> Yeah. If you're, if you're in a world where you might be running into the human torch, you get up in the morning, you coat everything with asbestos, and you head about about your day just in case you run into him. Yeah. Everyone's going to have cancer. They don't know that yet, but in the late 70s, we should see the enforcers like beginning chemotherapy because of all the asbestos they've used to protect themselves from the human torch. Um, but yeah, so they pull the human torch down into uh, Ox's uh, big fists, and then Fancy Dan comes around the corner with some sort of chemical foam to put out his flames. Fancy Dan is so tiny that he's wearing, uh, on him it looks like a big container, but I bet you it's just a normal-sized fire extinguisher. But he extinguishes the Human Torch, and then the Sandman shows up out of nowhere and engulfs him in his body, and they capture the Human Torch. This is another one of those panels that has uh, stayed with me for a long time, this panel of uh, uh, the Human Torch kind of being smothered on the top of page five. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's I don't something about it that scared me as a kid. Yeah, I mean, like the Sandman just t- can you know, turn himself into sand and then sort of engulf you like a blob with his head still totally composed at the top of himself. It looks like a Greek myth. Uh, but they've caught the Human Torch. They've put him in some sort of weird glass tube they had laying around. Uh, yep. And now they're talking about the fact that Spider-Man is back and that maybe they're going to have to deal with him. Yeah, so now we know who like the main villains are of this issue. It's Sandman and the Enforcers, and they've captured the Human Torch. And so now we're waiting for Spidey to find out. Uh, but Spidey is just going home for the night. He's uh, checking on his Aunt May, who's doing great. Uh, so he's just going into his house. 
relaxing, changing back into his blue suit, getting ready for the morning. Um, yeah, we see him like swinging to his house and then swinging into his bedroom window and taking his. I mean, it's really amazing that nobody in his neighborhood ever sees him. I mean, we we know that one writer said that Mary Jane Watson sees him, but in general, he is he does this secretly with no problem. Yeah, and I don't know what he's swinging off of in the suburbs, but uh, he's doing it. Uh, he's in a great mood. We've never seen Peter Parker as happy as he is in this issue. Like the next morning, uh, Aunt May's up cooking, and Peter greets her with, "Oh, excuse me, I must be in the wrong place." What's a pretty young girl doing here in my Aunt May's kitchen? Yeah, that's a common Peter Parker thing to flatter his Aunt May by referring to her as young and beautiful. <laughs> but her response is kind of funny. Peter Parker, go along with you now. You know who I am. <laughs> yeah, she always sort of uh, uh, is amused, amused, but always saying, stop it, Peter. That's sort of her reaction to it. Aunt May varies a lot in these issues from being like sharp as a tack to being kind of a baddie, a, a pleasantly baddie lady. Yeah. Uh, she serves whatever purpose the story needs in this moment. Uh, Peter um, goes to school to see that Flash Thompson is now reveling in the fact that he never gave up on Spider-Man and he was correct. He was the only person correct about Spider-Man. But Liz Allen, most popular girl in school who has a crush on Peter Parker and the object of Flash Thompson's affection, she still wants nothing to do with him. Yeah, because he was mean to her when she did not believe in Spider-Man uh, and she didn't forgive him for being mean to her. Even though he was right. Uh, yeah, but I mean... Dames, huh? These dames, they're so weird. What yeah. they're, st- oh, they're just so fickle and weird and they're just weird alien creatures that can't be understood if you yell at them and you're mean to them and then you forgive them later they don't forgive you doesn't make any sense uh peter and flash Um, are definitely baffled by that as well as stanley i assume (laughs) (laughs) um flash and peter have have words with each other um flash thompson's got a good line here well first uh Peter says to Flash, with that foghorn voice of yours, I could hear you in the next town. And Flash responds, oh, yeah, well, I got a good mind to let you chew on a set of knuckles, you bookworm panty waste. I want to make that my Twitter bio. (laughs) Bookworm panty waste? Just quote, I've got a good mind to let you (laughs) chew on a set of knuckles, you bookworm panty waste. Uh, And Peter's reaction to that isn't like mad or angry. He's smiling. He's sort of walking away. I know, I know. I heard the whole routine before. I could recite it by heart. He's in such a good mood. Too good a mood. Yeah. Yeah. So then out in the, he, he, we see Peter after school walking around New York City and he stumbles upon Fancy Dan. And so he changes into Spider-Man and keeps tailing him and he gets to the um, hideout. Yeah. This is where the enforcers are and like a hundred thugs. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen the movie The Raid Redemption? I have not. I've heard amazing things about it. It's really fun. It's this... um, uh, Is it a Filipina movie or a Malaysian movie? I I, I can't remember. It's... um, Southeast Asian of some some variety martial arts film of like good guy cop versus a building full of drug dealers and he just he has to work his way up floor by floor Indonesian it's, sorry and um yeah I should have remembered that and and uh, it's really just a fun action movie um and this setup kind of looks like that there's just like a building full of thugs that Spidey has to take care of yeah uh, he's sort of sneaking around in the ceiling but he gets spotted by one uh, and Ox throws fancy Dan at Spider-Man yep to knock him off the ceiling and he lands amongst like four or five thugs and the fight begins now the the enforcers which is little fancy Dan martial artist big lummox muscle guy ox and lasso toten cowboy montana Th- those are insane ideas to say and to think about <laughs> but they do make for like fun drawings just like and ditko kind of i don't know enforcer fights they do look cool in ditko's hands yeah, I mean, there's just constantly a lariat uh, surrounding Spider-Man. He's jumping through it or dodging next to it, and like, almost every panel, it's so great. So it was like two or three, two or three things uh, attacking Spidey at once, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, their whole thing is there's three of them. Uh, if there was any one of them, it, there'd be no threat at all. But all three of them combined at least slow Spider-Man down. Um, so he. Uh, the cops show up and everybody runs away. And so Spidey is not able to finish the battle. Yeah. So he heads off to see uh, Betty Brant at the Daily Bugle. I just want to say one thing. Usually the first fight in a Spidey comic, he loses. And then he has to come back and win harder. But in a weird way, all the losing for Spidey was done in the last issue. So he he was winning this fight. The, the guys just ran away. So, yeah. I mean, this is a victory. He had no problem. He's not even necessarily. He's like, I'll catch him later. Yeah, he's not even worried about it. Yeah, so now he goes, like you were saying, he goes to the Daily Bugle and sees Betty Brandt, his old girlfriend. His current girlfriend. 
still, despite this yeah. uh, uh, predicament. I mean, throughout yeah, like it's... the next 20 issues, he refers to her as his girl and his girlfriend. And she it's I mean, it's confusing. Oh, I didn't you know, know that. I, I thought I thought that well, what happens is we see Betty with another guy named Ned Leeds. And it seems to me she's introducing him as like a romantic partner. But am I reading that wrong? No, she's definitely dating Ned Leeds. Okay. I mean, she says that. She goes, uh, I've been seeing quite a bit of Ned, which is basically saying I'm dating him in, yeah. uh, in 64, 1964 uh, politeness. But it's just Peter still is, they're still, they still consider each other a couple in later issues. So this they have not mm. broken up. Mm. Interesting. They're just, they're not exclusive. I mean, Peter was talking to Liz and he's not always around. She's going to date other people. Yeah, they're not exclusive. I guess you could say that he's a swinger. Oh, I'm ending Sorry. the podcast now. Uh, this is the last episode of Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. But I guess you could say that he's used to being in sticky situations. Ugh. Oh, man. Sorry. We yeah, just lost all. Uh, people are erasing their reviews of us on iTunes. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's weirdly sunny about this. Maybe he maybe he just feels like, yeah, I haven't been around. And, if, and Betty and I aren't always working out. Maybe she should date other people. Is that what kind of attitude he has? I think he's just. So happy. He's just got a new lease on life. He's like, why should I begrudge Betty her happiness? You know, why, you yeah. know, why, like, why let that ruin my day? Why ruin it for her? Everything's good. Aunt May's, she, Aunt May's healthy. I'm Spider-Man. Yeah. What else is there? But uh, Betty's a little worried that Peter's taking the news so well, or at least she's surprised. Yeah. Uh, um, she wonders okay, then we he, could... She's wondering if he found somebody else, which he hasn't. He has not. I guess you could say that he found himself. Yeah, I guess you could. Podcast back um, on. Uh, oh, thank God. Uh, J.J. Oda Jameson comes out of his office. He's in the worst mood ever. He's yelling at everybody, calling them incompetence. His employees are actually happy to see him in a good mood because they're, they're used to uh, – in a bad mood because they're used to seeing him that way. Yeah. Uh, he screams at Peter, slams a door in his face. Peter was doing a weird thing here, right? Yes. He does this every now and then. It doesn't ever make sense to me. And I don't think it even made sense to me as a kid. He basically was going to Jonah to say, hey, would you like pictures of the enforcers? Yeah. And then J. Jonah Jameson wants nothing to do with him. And then Peter's like, well, I'll just take pictures of them anyway. Yeah. Why don't you just take pictures of them? Yeah. Sometimes they just they just need Peter to be at the Daily Bugle sometimes. So even though he's a freelancer, he just, just hangs around there a lot. Yeah. And they have to explain why he's trying to talk to J. Jonah Jameson. Well, there's absolutely no reason for him to do that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back at the uh, Sandman and the Enforcers headquarters, they still have the Human Torch in this glass tube. And we learn that they've limited the amount of oxygen in there so that he's barely conscious. And if he tries to ignite in flame, he passes right out. Yeah, he's trapped. And they're going to use the Human Torch to lure Spider-Man in. That's sort of their thought. Yep. Um so see, Spider Peter Parker changes into the his Spider-Man costume. He swings by J. Jonah Jameson and taunts him a little bit, getting J. Jonah mad. Um, and Jonah deserves it for how he treated him in the last issue. Yeah, he was just at a lecture being like, how I prove that Spider-Man's a cowardly fraud. Yeah. So a little, little tickets. Yeah, a little bit of a rib ribbing from a Spider-Man seems uh, in the cards at this point. Uh, Spidey wants to find out where the headquarters are. And so he goes, he finds this little classic 1940s bad guy, like with a little pork pie hat and a jacket and an alley and like, and like lifts him up with some webs and, and threatens him to get information out of him. Yeah, he seems to know this guy. He refers to him as Louie. Yeah, but I don't think we've seen him before. We've never seen him before, but it treats it as if like this is a guy Spider-Man often roughs up to get information. It's sort of like Turk from Daredevil, uh, a reference that yeah. some listeners might get, but most probably don't. Um, yeah, in the, Turk um, was, in the 19, yeah, early 1980s Daredevil comics, uh, written and drawn by Frank Miller, there was a street thug named Turk who was like a weasel coward, and Daredevil would always strong arm him to get info. And Turk would like rat out anybody. Turk had no integrity at all. Yeah. And this guy is basically that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, he gives up the info easily. Spidey decides, oh, they he gave up that info so easily. Everybody must want me to know where the headquarters are. It must be a trap, but I don't care. I'm going anyway. Yeah. And uh, uh, on this page 13, that panel, uh, the fourth panel looks a little bit yeah. like the cover. I don't know if it's exactly it, but it's very similar. I think it is exactly it. Well, so there, that's my theory that this is all just cut and paste from within the issue. Yeah. You know, there was a Spider-Man board game, Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four board game that I had as a kid. You actually put a picture of it on our Instagram yeah, account. Yeah, I think you've mentioned it a couple times. And um, that had like cut and paste images from these Ditko comics 
around the board, and this was one of them. I mean, his he- the straight-on way of swinging is definitely one of the classic uh, images that I know of Spider-Man. Yeah, he's swinging right to like the viewer's point of view, sort of. Yeah. Um, Sandman hears that Spider-Man is approaching, so they're getting ready for him. Uh, they have mm-hmm. a bunch of lookouts outside as Spider-Man sort of creeps around and avoids them all. He has no problem avoiding them with his spider sense and climbing in weird places. They're all a bunch of chumps. Uh, he, yeah, he makes it in no problem. He hangs up his camera so he can get some images of him beating the crap out of people. Uh, and then he sees where the human torch is and starts lowering himself down to free the human torch. I mean, so far, no problem. Yeah, this is all going smoothly, and I guess there's not going to be any problems, right? Yeah, so at this point, he saves the human torch, the issue ends, and he's given the key to the city, I'm assuming. Yep, we didn't read anymore. We stopped there, um, so we just assumed that everything went great, and that's the end of our podcast. Goodbye. Yeah, no more issues with Spider-Man. He's now the biggest hero ever known, and he's satisfied, and everything's great for him. Yeah, it was hundreds and hundreds of issues of no problems after this. Um, uh, wait. Kevin, I just read ahead. That's not what happened. Yeah, I've just finished the rest of the issue, and I see that we were badly mistaken. Uh, The Sandman had disguised himself as the top of the Human Torch's glass tube and attacked Spider-Man the moment he lowers himself down. He does look really grotesque. He looks very monstrous when he's, like, rising up out of shapeless sand into his human form. It looks, like, really gross and weird. I mean, it would be terrifying if you saw that in real life. Yeah, this is the scariest Sandman has appeared, I think, in this comic. Um, so, okay, now we're now the main fight is on. The Enforcers and Sandman just really start to lay into Spidey. Oh, and and other thugs, too. Yeah, and there's other thugs. That's right. On the top of page 15, we see, like, Human Torch almost passed out in his tube, and we see Ox punching Spider-Man. Fancy Dan is punching Spider-Man. He's lassoed one arm. Uh, Montana's lassoed one of his arms. Uh, the Sandman slithers around. There's another thug approaching him. I mean, it looks bad in that panel yeah for like like the next five pages or however long this fight is every panel is extremely like busy in a fun way there's just like spidey getting attacked from all sides but he's sort of having not that much trouble with it like he's having a blast yeah he's making a lot of jokes he doesn't seem worried for most of this this is sort of the classic or not the but this is a good example of your wisecracking spidey fight where he is Working hard, but enjoying it and like cracking jokes the whole time. Yeah. Um, he's shooting webs in people's faces. There's ropes. And he sings a song at one point. Uh, that was the last fight, but yeah. Oh, that's a little later on? And a little earlier, like the previous fight. With oh, okay. The yeah. Well, yeah. It's all in this issue. He's just very <laughs> loose. Is, some of the dialogue I just think is like really funny. Like uh, the bottom of page uh, 15, uh, panel four, I guess. Uh, Sandman has turned his uh, hands into sort of like hard sand anvil blocks. Yeah. And clocks Spider-Man across the face. And he says, ha, you didn't expect me to slither under you in my sandy form and then suddenly come up behind you with a pile driver punch, did you? And Spidey goes, uh, now that you mention it, no. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like Which that like, line a lot. It's very funny. Uh, it's Stanley explaining what's happening, worried that it's not clear in the art, but then also making a joke out of it. I mean, it's pretty well-crafted dialogue. It. If you feel like you need to explain that. And I sort of do think I mean, it maybe needed to be explained. It probably did need to be explained. Also, you know, I loved these comics as kid when I was a kid, you know, like eight or nine, reading them for the first time. And then, but when I returned to them, like in my 20s or whatever, and re, and I reread them, I reread them like all the time. I was always struck by how actually fun and funny it was. Like Stanley's funny dude. <laughs> I love it. It cracks me up. Yeah, uh, Stanley every now and then gets like a legitimate zinger that takes me off guard and makes me laugh for real and not just sort of like, oh, I get it. This is supposed to be a joke or this is sort of fun. Like there's moments that I actually laugh at in a lot of these comics. Yeah, there's times when he does does dialogue that's just colorful. Like the very panel before the one I just talked about, Spidey's punching somebody and he says, just because the ox knocked me off balance with one lucky punch doesn't mean it's time to play hearts and flowers for me. Hope I'm making myself clear, gents. And that's kind of like fun, colorful language, you know, like play hearts and flowers for me. Like Stanley will do that, do that all day long. Uh, stand by one moment, Kevin. Okay. Hi. Yes. I'm going to be talking while you do it on my oh, microphone. Is okay? No, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm back. Okay. So like you, you know, Stan would use like colorful dialogue a lot of times. And that was fun and stuff. But yeah, a lot of times he'll comment on the action in a genuinely funny way. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, uh, he does that in all his comics. Like, there's definitely some Fantastic Four comics where the thing just makes me laugh. Uh, Spider-Man, there's yeah. more opportunities for it just because that's sort of the nature of the character. Yeah. Um, so Spidey's having uh, a good old time fighting these guys, but they're starting to get the best of him. So he pulls into a somersault, rolls around, and breaks open the Human Torch's container. Yeah, and the Human Torch immediately goes, boy, you sure took your own sweet time about freeing me, which is sort of right. I mean, Spider-Man had freed the Human Torch earlier. This fight would be even easier. Yep. Uh, Spidey responds, that's gratitude for you. Some guys are never satisfied. I, I love their uh, banter in this issue. Yeah, I also just love these moments where they're working well together. On the top of page 18, uh, Fancy Dan or some other thug, I guess at this point, has the chemical foam and starts spraying the human torch to put out his flames again, which is a smart move by the criminals. Yes, uh, good, good idea. And human torch says, hey, webhead, see what you can do about that chemical foam spray, huh? Uh, and Spider-Man puts it out. Yep, sure, anything for an old human matchstick. Um, yeah, they're sort of like making fun of each other and talking trash, but also having a good time fighting and they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Human Torch they get all the says, enforcers. They get, uh, they get everybody except for Sandman. Yeah, Human Torch even says before that, like, you know something, I hate to say it, but we make a pretty good team. So yeah, they're making a good team. Like, bite your tongue, hothead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they take, they catch all the enforcers pretty easily. Uh, but, uh, Spider-Man accidentally webs the Human Torch at some moment. This is very funny. Uh, and then he doesn't stop shooting webs and it puts out the human torch's flames and they get totally tangled up and the human torch has to basically uh, burn their way out of the webbing uh, because they're so entangled. I mean, they are really entangled. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Spidey's only option. He's like, well, we'll have to wait here until it kind of melts off us. We're going to stand here for an hour. <laughs> But the Human Torch burns it off them. Uh, but by this point, the, the Sandman has escaped. They don't think they're going to catch up yeah. with him. Um, I mean, it's, I, I love them together. They're like the same age, right? Aren't they both like teenagers? They're both teenagers. And in, in Stanley's world, the, 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 there's one age of teenagers. So I don't really know how old they are, but um, yeah. they're in the ballpark of each other for sure. I always assumed Johnny is like one year older. Yeah, I assume he's like just out of high school or something. Yeah. Uh, Sandman uh, is nabbed by two cops, and he's so exhausted by his fight with Spidey and the Human Torch that they're actually able to catch him. I mean, him. those two cops must just be uh, uh, huge heroes. <laughs> they caught the Sandman. Yeah, they caught a sand elemental. A guy who can turn into grains of sand and get away from you. They just wrestled him to the ground. <laughs> yep. Um, and so uh, Spidey and the Torch see that, and Spidey just kind of runs off. He doesn't give the Torch any real explanation of why he was a coward uh, last issue or the issue before. Yeah, and he even lets the Human Torch take credit. Uh, the Human Torch doesn't. In the next panel, we find out that uh, the latest news bulletin says Spider-Man, aided the, by the Human Torch, captured the Enforcers and chased the Sandman into the arms of the police. Uh, and Jonah is miserable. He's a, uh, uh, it's true. Spider-Man's a hero again. Uh, Jonah wonders. He makes a comment here. He, yeah, go Jonah ahead. Jonah wonders if he's too old to join the foreign legion. I feel like pop culture in the sixties talked about the foreign legion all the time. Wasn't there like pink Panther cartoons where he was in the foreign legion or something like that? I feel like what, what was the foreign legion? I mean, I think it was just like an army. People would leave. Uh, I don't know how many people really did this, but like Americans, they would take anybody. So like <laughs> okay. you could just leave the country, get away from your lost love and join the foreign legion. <laughs> Forget about your past yeah. life. Uh, Peter shows up with photos of the fight he just had, and they're so good that even grumpy Jameson's in a good yep. mood. Uh, he he mentions if they're not fakes, they'll sell an extra half million papers for me, which is a good thing to mention because Peter has faked photographs before. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he's faked photos he on two Betty different occasions. He faked his first fight yeah. with the Sandman, which he got away with, and then he faked photos right. showing Spider-Man changing into Electro. Just to make some extra money. he did not get in trouble for either, but at least he got sort of yelled at for that one. He got yeah. scolded. Uh, but Peter's in a good mood, so he asks Betty out for to celebrate, um, you know, uh, getting a soda with her to celebrate his first day back on the job. But she can't. She's got a date with Ned yep. Leeds. Yeah, Ned's not sleeping on this. Peter hasn't been around, but Ned is Ned is uh, trying to really close the deal here with uh, Betty Brand. He wants to become an And then an Peter item. just walks away going, okay, I'll give you a ring tomorrow, Betty. <laughs> Good power move, I guess. He's really, he must have read yeah, the he's rules. Really him, making her, making her seem he's like he's not interested. She's sort of mad he's not jealous. I'm kind of on Betty's side here. I'd be like, God damn, she's like parading around another dude in front of him. He could at least be like uncomfortable. Yeah. He gets a little mad in later issues. Uh, but he, I think he likes Ned. Ned's a nice guy. <laughs> 
Uh, meanwhile, the people on the street are seeing the news about Spider-Man. They have a kind of a funny conversation. Yeah, here. they think about how uh, Jonah, one issue was talking about how Spider-Man's a fraud, but now the next issue is publishing how Spider-Man is a hero. One guy says, don't you understand publicity? He just did it to get people interested. Then he pulls off a stunt like this. I bet they're both in yep. cahoots. And his buddy in spectacles says, I wouldn't be at all surprised because every single person in every panel needs to talk. <laughs> there's never there's never been a character too small for Stanley not to put a speech balloon yeah. over him. Uh, meanwhile, back at the Baxter building, uh, 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 Human Torch is talking to somebody. I'm not actually sure. I think Reed. Um, yeah. So it feels like a, a cold and uh, calculated, even-tempered Reed comment. Yeah, but uh, Reed asks, uh, did you ever find out why Spider-Man seemed to act cowardly last month, Johnny? What explanation did he give you? And uh, Johnny's like, none. Getting information out of that web spinner is like pulling teeth. I still can't make up my mind whether to like him or hate him. So that sort of sets them back to their status quo of sort of friends, enemies, sort of a mix. Yeah, frenemies. And then uh, now we have a little cliffhanger here at the end. Yeah, uh, sort of a tease. Somebody is following Peter Parker. Yep, somebody's following Peter Parker. And um, he turned out, uh, he follows him home, sees the lights go off. And then this guy who's been following him calls makes a phone call and we see that the phone call is going to a shadowy figure who, whose face we can't see. Yep. And he's got to know for certain and then he'll act. And we yep. don't know who that is. Uh, it's just something to, we'll find out next issue. Uh, spoiler alert. Yep. It's not that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I remember what happens. At um, but that's sort of a tease to get you to buy the next issue. And this is sort of thing wasn't really happening a lot in the earlier issues. Like sort of a, it would just sort of like wrap up at most. It'd be like next issue, the vulture, but it wouldn't like set up something. Uh, and this is starting to happen yeah. more and more, I think, in Marvel comics in general, but just sort of like a, a hook to like basically like what TV shows do now. It's like something to make you tune in next week. Yeah. Um, well, that's our issue. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do awards? Yes. What's your panel of the issue? Hey, my panel of the issue, I mean, another another one where just, there are so many great ones. But I will do page 13, panel four, the one where he's swinging right at the viewer um, the one that I think is cut and paste onto the cover. Um, that image has stayed with me a long cover. time. I think it's swinging back and forth between them. Just very similar. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, my a pick. Great, great image. I'm going to try to cheat. I'm going to pick the three panels of Jonah melting. Um, if I had to pick one, I would pick the last yeah, one. Yeah, right. But it's the bottom of page three. It's yeah. uh, a little triptych. Um, wormly yeah. whispering into Jonah's ear. <laughs> Wormly. I mean, that's his name. Uh, okay, that's a pretty good one. What's your uh, Stan Lee dialogue? Uh, you read it out loud. Uh, uh, it was what I was going to pick, which is when he um, gets attacked by the Sandman and says, now that you mention it, no. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's great in relation to what was said before it, but I genuinely laughed at that moment. So it was my pick of Stan Lee dialogue. And I'll pick what I said before. Oh, yeah. Well, I got a good mind to let you chew on a set of knuckles, you bookworm panty yep, waste. That was the other one I was considering. Those are definitely the I think the two best lines in this issue. Um, what's your highlight? It's probably the same thing, right? J. Jonah Jameson getting his yeah, come up. Yeah, I really enjoy watching Jonah just uh, getting crushed. It's really, really fun. It's a great capper to this three-issue arc of Jonah's rise and fall. Uh, my highlight's going to... Yeah, that's, I agree. It's completely satisfying. It's so fun. Um, I think my highlight is Spidey and the torch getting tangled in Spidey's web and having to give up for a second. Yeah, yeah that's really fun. It's it's very funny. It's not heroic. It's kind of a character based thing instead of a hero's moment, and it's part of what makes Marvel great, I think. And I love that page. Yeah, uh, I love that last panel too, of where it's sort of lit, really interesting. The coloring is great. Uh, where the torch yep. is uh, trying to burn his way through, and it's sort of all lit white as the light sort of washes them out. You don't see a lot of creative yes. coloring in these old comics. I feel like. But moments like that to show you how good it could be still. Yeah, later they, comics would be a lot more uh, aggressive I mean, about Modern colorists stuff. have so much more at their disposal and are so good. Uh, yeah. Back here when it was on newsprint, you basically were mixing a handful of colors. It must have been really hard to pull off something as dynamic as that, and it looks great. Yep. Uh, how about Man, your low light? my low light? Uh, it's another strong issue. There's nothing that really stands out as yeah. a clunker. I guess my low light, and I made a comment about this, it's so stupid, is that Peter asking Jonah if he wants pictures of the enforcers. Uh, it's sort of like, yeah. hey, do you want pictures of this incredibly interesting crime spree? You do? Great, I'll go take them. Uh, is a silly hypothetical situation that Peter must have had in his head. Well, I don't have... I, there's nothing in this comic that bothers me. Um... I guess I'll say it's hardly a low light. It's just this is one of those I would do it differently if I was in charge of the story. Sometimes that's an unfair complaint. But I would have Peter be a little agitated by 
I would have him be being gracious through gritted teeth about uh, Ned Leeds. About Ned Leeds, yeah. Like I, I, I think that Betty is right to be surprised. Yeah, I mean, at least and, one. Th- I think it would make Parker a little more human. At least one thought balloon that, that like about sm- it still would be humanizing. Yeah. So that, that's okay. my uh, I think that's fair. Thank you for appreciating that. Um, what's next? It's either reader mail or like recommendations. Uh, you said you had a memory. Yeah. We, we've sometimes done personal memories here. And um, I want to talk about the comic book shop that Kevin and I used to go to when we were kids called Outer Limits Comics in Danbury, Connecticut. On Route 37. Yeah, we used to bike to it. Um, yep. It was, uh, we lived in a Danbury, Connecticut, and it was, um, our neighborhood was sort of, there was there was nowhere you could like walk to. Like we were sort of surrounded by busy highways and stuff that you couldn't travel too far on. So you needed to get a ride basically to go anywhere. But uh, the comic book shop happened to open up very close to where we lived. And so it was a place we could go yeah, to. Yeah, it was slightly dangerous because uh, Route 37 was a busy, busy uh, road. Um, yeah. And so like when I was 13 and Kevin was eight or nine, it's a little iffy, but if you're like a responsible kid and you look both ways and you're smart, it wasn't, it was really easy. Uh, it was a quick, short bike ride. Uh, but I do, I feel like I remember mom being nervous about me doing it. Uh, and I'd be nervous doing it now. I think I was, kids feel indestructible and I think I just like, I'm not going to get hit. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you were pretty young when we started to do it, but it, there was like a real, there was a real sense of freedom to be able to go to this uh, comic book shop. The, the reason I wanted to bring it up now is um, this cover, Spidey Strikes Back. So uh, I, I think I read this. I mean, th- this was in our little digests of comics, but also uh, it was in Marvel Tales, um, which was the Spider-Man reprint series that was coming out when we were first reading comics in the early 80s. Uh, once a month, there was a comic called Marvel Tales, and it just reprinted an old Spider-Man story every month. And I remember this cover on Marvel Tales uh, and being sort of intrigued by it. Uh, and it just sort of brings me back to happy memories of going to Outer Limits. And I feel like a lot of people who read comics, uh, I guess not so much anymore, right? Because people get stuff online. But it's very common for collectors to have their store that they go to and where they're known, and you have comics saved that's still for pretty you. common uh, for hardcore comic readers. Yeah, so it's like a, everyone's got a sentimental attachment if you find a good comic store where they know you. And, and our first one was Outer Limits. Yeah, it was good. When I got older, I started going to a different one that I had to drive to um, as Outer Limits kind of got uh, cave, cave comics cave in Newton, comic? Connecticut, um, which I really, really loved. But Outer Limits was reachable by bike, and it was great for a long, long time. Uh, and they were also – they would do things – I think they did this for you too. They would set aside comics they think you'd be interested in. They wouldn't make you buy them, but they'd be like, I held yes. this because I thought you might like it. Uh, and yep, I used to love that. His name, uh, Mr. Domain was the owner. I don't remember his first name. Uh, and his two sons, Donnie and Danny Domain, big, <laughs> big D family. Uh, very, very comic book to have like an, an alliterative uh, name. Um, it was like a family business. And Mr. Domain, I just thought he was the nicest dude. And he would hold our, my comics and he would definitely set aside stuff if he thought I'd like it. Yeah, he, and that definitely continued for me for a little while. Um, and it was just nice. Yeah, it was nice to be like, well, yeah, this is something I'd be interested in. He introduced me to Zot. That's great. Yeah, Zot, which ended up being one of my favorite comics. Um, uh, the, the black and white comics craze that was kicked off by the success of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There was a lot of black and white comics for a little while. Zot was one of them from Eclipse Comics. And he rightly said, I bet you'd like this. And he was right on the money. It's still to this day one of my favorites. Yeah. uh, Cave Comics wouldn't set things aside, but he would sometimes recommend stuff. And he recommended Bone to me because I was reading a lot of uh, Uncle Scrooge comics at the time. And he was like, you might like Bone. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. It's one issue. And that was an amazing series. And I'm really glad I got in on the ground floor of it. What's your... um comic store nowadays um i guess i go to midtown comics when i buy them i don't buy a lot i don't buy any single issues um mm-hmm. if i do i get them digitally uh, i buy trade paperbacks mostly uh and i get that from midtown comics um, or amazon i live in right. there's not really a great one near uh, me in new jersey so i midtown comics is near where i work in the city uh, i went to midtown many times uh, you know i went to um the one i'm going to in los angeles is called secret headquarters on Sunset yeah, Boulevard. Yeah, you, you brought me there. And uh, yeah, I like Secret Headquarters. And uh, you know, the guys who work there, they read a ton of comics. And so they're 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 up on stuff and they're fun to talk shop with. And they, he told me something. I might, I might have this wrong. So take this with a grain of salt. But he told me that Midtown Comics in New York, the one you go to, is so big that they actually handle distribution for a lot of 
comics across the country that like Secret Headquarters gets their comics somehow from Midtown or some of them or something like that. I mean, I do Isn't know Midtown crazy? makes a lot of money off their mail order system, uh, like just mailing comics to people. Uh, I mean, they're yeah. they're huge. The one reason I like going there is because they just have everything. Um, yeah. Like some smaller shops just can't order like the independent comics or as many of them because sure. – they're not going to sell they them might not sell. and they're not yeah. money, but Midtown can afford to eat some losses and can also yeah. ha- get so many people in their shop that someone's going to buy these things and just can buy a lot yeah. more and then yeah. sell stuff online that they don't sell uh, in the shop itself. So it's just a great place to go. Where it's like, they're going to have it. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Secret headquarters is more like a small boutique kind of thing, but they have really good taste and the stuff they keep on in, in stock is really good. Yeah. That's the sort of place I would go to if there was one near me in New Jersey. Uh, it's yeah. the sort of shop I would love to have sort of more of an indie vibe type place. Uh, those are far and few between, I feel like. I think it's hard to make money because everybody can just get stuff through the mail so easily. So uh, I think let's, uh, yeah, I just, I just remember Outer Limits very fondly. And so, and, and reading these old issues is really reminding me of it. So I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Yeah. Uh, I feel like our recommendation should be Zot and Bone since we just mentioned those. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're available in various forms. I'm sure you can find them. Just Google Zot or Google Bone. I feel like Bone is still pretty well known and Zot might not be so well known. Am I right on that? I bet that's true. Uh, uh, Bone is starting to fade a little bit, I feel like, um, just because I think Jeff Smith doesn't done as much recently. But let's just give a, let's give a quick little capsule description of them. Sure. Great. Uh, uh, you want to go with Zot? Yeah. Okay. So Zot was done by this guy, Scott McCloud, who's much more famous for having done the book Understanding Comics, which is sort of this like academic look at how comics work. That's kind of his biggest claim to fame. But before he did that he did this comic called Zot for Eclipse Comics. Uh, Kurt Busaic uh, co-wrote a couple of the early issues, actually, because they were like high school friends. Yeah, and Kurt's done a lot of mainstream comics as well as some uh, really cool superhero indie books. Yeah, like Astro City and stuff. Yeah. But uh, Scott, Scott uh, so Zot was like the story of a superhero, an alternate universe where it's kind of like a weird 50s kind of like good guy, bad guy, simple world where Zot is like a good guy superhero and a girl Jenny from our world finds a portal into it and her home life is sad and a wreck and the real world's complicated and she gets to escape to this world where it's just good guys and bad guys. They do 10 issues of that in color and then switched and then it got terrific, I think, where it goes to black and white and Zot goes to Jenny's world and stays there for a while. And I thought it was just beautiful and sweet and fun and the art was great and had Japanese influences when a lot of American comics weren't yet incorporating that and just the coolest. Like I just think Zod is the best and it's you can am- get collections of it and I recommend it. It's amazing that I think it was both good as sort of this like mostly superhero side. Like those first 10 issues are like one big superhero epic. Yes. Uh, and it's really fun and jaunty with like slight undertones of sort of reality. And it's also yes. he was good at writing this reality comic with just slight hints of sort of a sci-fi superhero. Yeah. Both versions uh, were great. Yeah. I remember when Zot first goes to Jenny's world, there's a fire and he tries to save people and he's not able to. Like the fire is too big and he's never lost before. He doesn't understand how that's even possible because in his world, he's a, a hero that always wins. Yeah. Um, they, have a, they have a first kiss in issue 12 that is extremely sweet and tender and <laughs> nice. And I, I just remember it because it struck. I was like, oh, yeah, the hero in most superhero comics never kisses the girl. They're, the girls are always unattainable for some reason. But Zot and Jenny just became a couple, and it was rad. Yeah, uh, it's really fun. Plus talking monkeys. Yes, that's also good. Uh, Bone is a comic about three creatures that are called Bones. Um, <laughs> they're like these three little white uh, creatures who come from a town of Bones, almost like Smurfs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the three characters we meet are Phone Bone, who's sort of just like your basic hero. Protagonist. Uh, Phony Bone, who's sort of a con artist. And Smiley Bone, <laughs> who's sort of a dope. Uh, yeah. And they are be, have been run out of town because of some scheme that Phony Bone has done. It's almost like there's this other comic of just Bone characters that's very silly and lighthearted. And they end up in basically uh, a forest with – it's almost like more of a Lord of the Rings world with like – yeah. Um, horrible creatures and a great evil trying to take control of these towns. And they yeah. sort of get tied up into all of that. Yep. Um, and it gets like epic and more epic as it goes on. It's still like it's humorous and cute, but it's really more of an adventure yarn than anything else. Like they're the hobbits to this Lord of the Rings story. Yes. 
And it really mixed tone and genre well. Yeah. And you can get this comic in black and white or color because it was released originally black and white. But then they did like a really good color version of it um, Cool. that the main creator was very involved with. So it isn't just sort of like, hey, we put color in it to make it to sell a few extra books. I think he really like kind of got into that side of it. I think both versions are great. Uh, Bone is magic. Bone is so wonderful and beautifully done that it should really be. It's one of my favorites of all time. I totally agree. It should be an animated trilogy. If that sort of yes. thing could sell. Yep. Um, do we have any reader mail you want to go over? We do. Uh, I'm going to read one. We've got a couple of things, but I'm going to read just one for today because we're, we're already pretty long. Uh, yeah. th- there's no question in this, but it's sort of a, a comment on some past stuff that we've uh, okay. talked about. This is an email cool. from Oliver Villar. Okay. And he heard about our podcast because someone posted on uh, John Burns forum, which is on burnrobotics.com. So someone plugged us there and Oliver discovered that and started listening to our podcast and says very nice things about us. Uh, also talks about a lot of similar podcasts out there that I'm not going to mention because <laughs> uh, they, because you're, you found the podcast that you want to listen to, to hear about Spider-Man, old Spider-Man comics. <laughs> um, but he talks about that. We've mentioned a few times that Marvel only could release certain number of issues and we forgot yeah. why. And so yeah. he is telling us why uh, he okay. says Marvel had a distribution arrangement with DC so that's the guys who made Batman and Superman comics. Um, and it was the distribution deal dated back to 1957. And so they each could only produce a limited number of titles uh, because yeah. they were sort of on this big contract, which is why oh, like weird. Iron Man and Captain America had to share a title because you couldn't that's have strange. one of each. Uh, and then once that deal finally expired, once Marvel no longer had that arrangement, the heroes started spinning off into their own titles and splitting off, which is I think like five or six years from now from where we're reading. Right. It's a, it's a ways off. Maybe not quite five or six, but it's a ways. Like, uh, you know, Iron Man will split off into his own and Captain America just takes over that title and it just becomes Captain America. Hulk takes over his. I think Giant Man just goes away. Um, uh, yeah. And he also mentions he's reading these comics through the old Amazing Spider-Man DVD ROM, which I believe you bought me well. Uh, that sounds right. Which is like something you could put on your computer and it had like every issue of Amazing Spider-Man up yes. until issue 531. Right. Uh, so it was up everything that had been out at the time the DVD ROM was made. And I think yeah. I did have that at some point. Yeah. Um, it's like 10 years ago or something. Like it, so it's just another way I have or had. I don't think I still have that DVD ROM. It's like another version of these issues that I had. <laughs> I'll get you another copy. Great, great, great. <laughs> uh, but here's something you would find interesting. He he was reading in the back of that. There's a letter from uh, a writer, Doug Mo- Monick, who you yeah, probably sure. know. Yeah, he Batman wrote Batman comics. for a while. Uh, and his thoughts on issue 14, where he felt that a beetle would have been better in the role of the Hulk. Not quite <laughs> sure strange. what that means. I don't quite uh, know what Doug was thinking. Yeah. Uh, he referred to Ditko as the best pen- pencil and ink pusher you got. Not a, I, uh, I don't disagree with him. I mean, uh, it's either him or Kirby. You got to pick one or the other. Those two guys were great. I guess I'd pick anyway, Kirby so, if I had to pick between them, but ugh, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no question from Oliver, but some great comments clearing Thank up you, some Oliver. stuff we've talked about in the past. Thank you, Oliver. Yeah. Uh, we got another letter. I'm going to save that for the next issue. Okay, great. Next episode. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, all right, Kevin. Well, I think we did it. Yeah, uh, I think we've wrapped up another screw it. You're going to talk about Spider-Man. Um, so everybody come back next uh, uh, episode. We're going to talk about issue number 20. Yeah, which I believe is the Scorpion. Scorpion, yep, that's right. That's a villain we have not seen in the movies. Uh, not necessarily, I don't probably in some of the cartoons. We don't see him a lot. but uh, He's in the original he's cartoon. Around a lot sure. in these old, he's around a lot in these old comics. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kevin, great job. Great job, Will Hines. And uh, see you see you guys all next episode. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Campfire.